So um, this isn't in my notes, but uh, but there was um, there's a podcast I was listening to about startups, you know, startup companies. I worked for a tech startup for a while, and um, you know they're 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 a very I don't I want to say mission driven. They're they're they're, ju- they're a very driven culture, you know. And the podcast was kind of talking about how driven those things are, and I found it very interesting. I think it was the second season of this podcast they actually did a church planter. And at first, I was really intrigued because, you know, we're doing a church plant. So I was like, hey, you know, let, let me listen to that. Um, and it, there are so many things, so many of the struggles, so many of the, the things that, that, that just relate one to one. I told you, oh, you should listen to this. And we, we listened to some of it. And it, it, it does. It, it, it mapped out so well. But this morning, it just it, that got under my skin. <laughs> the reason it got under my skin, thinking back to it, um, was this idea of hustle. You know, it, 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 this idea that, that we talk about, like, we're, we're always trying to make something happen. You know, we're, we're always trying to, to produce. We're always trying to, to, to build the next great thing. And it's that hype and manipulation thing again, which the church has unfortunately become somewhat famous for, you know, and, and that the vineyard took a stance against, and I, I hope we'll always stand against. You know, that idea of what we are about, you know, just trying to, to make everybody feel a certain way and go a certain direction, and, and you got to hype these things up and, and manipulation, and this is, this is the next big move of God, and we got to be doing all these, these things, and it's a flashbang, and boy, and at the end of it, people just feel often wrung out and dry and sometimes mistreated and sometimes just taken for their their attendance at an event or their the money in their pockets or something like that, and at the end of the day, is that it? Um, that's not the kingdom of God. Um, that's not the kingdom of God. And, and I was thinking about that, and, um, and I think Sabbath, as we've been talking about, is so necessary for this world. Uh, the church that, that Lee and I came from, that some of you, you knew, that we had a, a coffee house for a while, and... Um, the idea that behind the coffee house is that we wanted to give rest for a, a, a hurried world. What was the, the phrase for it, Leah? Do you remember exactly? I can't even remember the exact language of it. We had a phrase. It was, it was like to, to give rest for the, a hurried world, to, to give a place. That, that was the idea. It was like this was a place where the busyness of this world falls to the wayside and that you can actually come here and you can find peace for your soul. And I think how, how horrible when the church is just as full of hustle, of hype, of manipulation, of, of all those things that, that I think the kingdom of God was never about. You know, we want God to be in a hurry. <laughs> I mean, that is maybe the number one complaint that, that Christians lodge against, <laughs> against our Father. You know, it's like, okay, I know you're working this eventually, but how about now? Like, like why not now? He's not in a hurry. And we, we think that that's to his detriment, but really it's to ours. You know, and he's sovereign. He, he's not going to change his timetable because we're grumpy about it. You know, he, thank God that he doesn't. But if we will, if we'll give him our time, if we'll meet with him, I'll say, in God's time, if we'll join with him in his pacing, in his power, what a wonderful way to live. What a wonderful way to live. And that's kind of what the series is about, I think. Um, this whole series is about the Sabbath. We started off with it relating to work. The idea was that it doesn't just, it's not opposition to work. It's not, you know, yin and yang. It's not the dark side of the force and the good side of the force. It, it's, it's how the Sabbath actually elevates work. It makes work what it's meant to be. Um, that you should, you should not have 
uh, work without Sabbath, and you can't have Sabbath without work. They, they go together. They're two sides of that same coin. It prepares us for it. It expects it. It's the celebration of it. And then last week, we were talking about the Sabbath as a command, um, not as a, a suggestion or an optional part of being a part of God's kingdom. It was a command in the Old Testament. And we are, of course, under grace, not under the law, but I see relevance to this command still. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, there's debate about that point, which surprised me, and, and I, I dove, dove into it even deeper, and I think it's a wonderful thing to look at. But the thing is, as, as we've been, I told this to the pre-service prayer crowd, but as we're, we're doing this, often whenever I'm about two weeks, three weeks into a, a series, I can kind of feel like the Holy Spirit's like, gratitude maybe is the wrong word, like, like just that this is accomplishing what the Word is set out to do. I, I try to only preach what I, I think the Lord cares about. Like, I hope I never preach about things that I'm just passionate about for no reason. So normally, like, two or three weeks, I'm like, okay, I can tell, like, the Lord is, like, he, he's doing what he wants to do. With this one, I just feel like, nope. <laughs> not because it's, it's been bad, but because I don't think we're getting it yet. I'm not getting it yet. I, I might be the worst defender of this in the room, and I, I mean that very transparently. Sabbath is, is hard and clunky and awkward, and I've, I feel like the whole idea we bring to the table about what Sabbath is is just wrong. And, and it's, it's the sort of thing where as I've gotten into this, I just see this depth opening up. That it, it, it's so much, I mean, it's evangelism to a world that needs it. it it's, it's salve for your soul. It, it's the way for us to, to be healthy. It's all these things, and we don't do it. And what we do is we take a time off, we take vacation, we, we, we run from work. <laughs> you know, we don't rest from work. And, and I think that there's so many things we, we do that, that are just not Sabbath. And I think that there's a lot that the, the Spirit wants to do here. Um, so who, who's practiced a Sabbath now since we've done? All right. I am happy to see that. Well done, y'all. Um, not everybody, <laughs> just so the recording knows. We still got some work to do, but, but good. And, and I hope we'll, we'll continue to, to see that go up because I think that the sense of rhythm means that it can't be like a one-off thing. Like, I, I don't want us to be like, hey, you remember when we talked about a Sabbath as a church and I did one. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that was, that was a nice day. I, I don't think that's the rhythm that the Lord has called us to. Um, so before I found the guitar as my instrument, I actually had a number of instruments I, I, I tried. I started off on the piano, as musicians tend to do, and I played the violin and the, the saxophone, tenor, the, the big old saxophone. For a season, I, I tried to be a drummer, though, and the, the band director told me, you almost have enough rhythm <laughs> to be a drummer. And he said, if you work at this, you can do it. And I said, okay, great, I'll, I'll work on this. He was wrong. I, <laughs> I, I sat with the drums, and it, ju it just never really clicked with me. It just wasn't my, my thing. Uh, the guitar, when I started doing it, it just kind of worked with me, I think, as a white middle-class boy, that acoustic guitar just was calling my soul. Um, but I was really confused when I, I started off in, in, in the drums and they gave me a xylophone, which is probably a good sign that they did not see me as like a real drummer. Um, but this idea about, about music and, and what goes into music, we think of harmony and melody, but rhythm, rhythm is so incredibly important. Um, this idea of, of how we, we count our time, this idea of finding the rest. And I told you this earlier in the series, but I had a, a buddy on a, on a worship team who said, you got to play the rest. 
And that's what this series, I think, is really about, playing the rest. Um, understanding that Sabbath is, is included. It's a part of this whole expression. Um, there's a lot of interesting math that goes into this thing that, that I'm going to talk about here in a second called the world's ugliest music. Um, music is in a lot of ways repetition. A lot of this is about finding a pattern and, and doing something with the pattern. Your brain kind of enjoys that. Your, your brain celebrates routine and, and rhythm and finding space for it. Uh, the math that went into this, though, wasn't about trying to find the world's ugliest music. That wasn't the reason that they, they solved this problem. But they wrote the world's ugliest music trying to solve a math problem, trying to get a, the perfect ping, is what they're calling it, for submarines. Trying to figure out how can we tell with the pitch when we send this signal at, at a submarine and it comes back, how do we know that we're not getting so much noise? So they needed to find things that were completely random they knew about that they could read back. So very interesting math, very hard to solve, but there, there was a TED talk from the guy. Once they solve kind of how to produce this perfect ping is what they're calling it, they could also use it to make what the guy calls the world's ugliest music. So we've got this video here. So today we were going to have the world premiere of the world's first pattern-free piano sonata. So, back to the question of music. So, what makes music beautiful? Well, let's think about one of the most beautiful pieces ever written, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and the famous da-da-da-da motif. That motif occurs hundreds of times in the symphony, uh, hundreds of times in the first movement alone, and also in all the other movements as well. So, this repetition, the setting up of this repetition is so important for beauty. So, if we think about random music as being or just random notes here, and over here is somehow Beethoven's fifth and some kind of pattern. If we wrote completely pattern-free music, it would be way out on the tail. In fact, the end of the tail of music would be these pattern-free structures. This music that we saw before, those stars on the, on the grid, is far, far, far from random. It's perfectly pattern-free. It turns out that musicologists, uh, a famous composer by the name of Arnold Schoenberg, thought of this in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. He, his goal as a composer was to write music that would free music from tonal structure. That would, he called it the emancipation of the dissonance. He created these structures called tone rows. This is a tone row there. It sounds a lot like a Costas array. Unfortunately, he died 10 years before Costas solved the problem of how you can mathematically create these structures. So today, we are going to hear the world premiere of the perfect ping. This is an 88 by 88 sized uh, Costas array mapped to notes on the piano, played using a structure called a golem ruler for the rhythm, which means that the starting time of each pair of notes is distinct as well. This is mathematically almost impossible, actually computationally it would be impossible to create because of the mathematics that was developed 200 years ago through another mathematician recently and an engineer, we are able to actually compose this or construct this using multiplication by the number three. The point when you hear this music is not that it's supposed to be beautiful. This is supposed to be the world's ugliest piece of music. In fact, it's, it's music that only a mathematician could write. So when you're listening to this piece of music, I implore you, try and find some repetition. Try and find something that you enjoy and then revel in the fact <laughs> that you won't find it, okay? So without further ado, Michael Linville, the director of chamber music at the New World Symphony, will do, perform the world premiere of The Perfect Ping.
I thought about stopping it, but I figured no. <laughs> Make your checks out. I, I feel the worst for him because he is a concert pianist. And you see how he, I think, is fighting. Yeah. There's only 88 notes in this. Song. <laughs> there we go. That's it. So, something perfectly the clapping was bad. So something perfectly prescribed, mathematically perfect and yet so utterly painful for us to, to go through. And, and, and that really, I think, speaks to us about so much work that we do. The work that we do that builds up this thing that, that, that looks so whatever, but it, it lacks the, the heartbeat, it lacks the breath, it lacks the rhythm that God prescribed from the very beginning. And, and so really what we're talking about is, is Sabbath as a pattern, Saturday, Sabbath as, as more than, than a one-off Saturday, Sabbath not as a concept or as an ideal, but, but as a pattern for our lives. Um, there's a group, people have maybe heard of the Seventh-day Adventists, yeah? Uh, you've heard of them. They're really, really serious about the seventh day. They're really serious about the Sabbath. Did you know, and I didn't believe this, they live 11 years longer than the average American? Yeah. You look that up. It's true. They live 11 years longer than the average, average American. And, and people have, have conjectured, I don't know if this is true or not, that that's the number of Sabbaths that they take over their lifetime. So they also don't drink alcohol. They also eat a largely plant-based meal. Uh, they all live in this beautiful place in California, really, is what it comes down to. All the, who knows? But they live on average 11 years longer than people. Um, Dallas Wizard, than, than the rest of us, than the rest of people. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Um, Dallas Wizard, Dallas Wizard, y'all, this is not good for me. Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. All right. The great enemy of spiritual life in our day is hurry. After the French Revolution, there was a 10-day work week that was prescribed by the French Revolution. The idea was this is going to up productivity. So you have, instead of a seven-day week, we're going to have a 10-day week, and this is going to be great. You know what happened? Mental illness, depression, and productivity went down. Um, it just didn't fit the rhythm of people's lives as they tried to, to change this, this base pattern that seems to be almost innate in us. It's amazing that all the cultures of the world really have this seven-day week. It's you know, got different names, and we call these things, but, but we have this idea of a pattern and as a life. 
Um, and what I want you to know is that Sabbath is coming for us. And that can sound like a threat. And it kind of is meant to be. Sabbath is coming for us. Whether by choice or by force, Sabbath is coming for us. And it's like whenever you hold your breath. <laughs> breath is coming again. You know, you're going to have to breathe. You, you can't not breathe. And it's coming for you. And, and we can rebel against this as a command. We can rebel against this as like, oh, I'm, I'm, I have so much I have to do. But Sabbath is coming for us. And I, I do know that if we don't embrace it in this life now, we'll get it in the life to come. That's how serious I think God is about Sabbath and entering into his rest. That his family will have his rest. We will enter in. That, that's kind of the deal. And why we put that off, why we, we fight this, it's strange to me. Because if you just talk to me about this as a, as a problem, it, everything about Sabbath sounds great to me. But yet we fight this. And yet we don't adopt this. And yet we don't live in this manner. And I find it really amazing that I have this struggle too. Um, the Netflix CEO had a, a famous speech he gave when he was talking about, uh, he was asked about their biggest competitors. You know, and they're talking about all the, the sort of services that are coming up. There's Hulu, there's Amazon Prime, there's... Disney Plus now, and the Netflix CEO said he's not worried about any of their competitors. He says, our biggest competitor is sleep. Let that sink in. <laughs> so there's so much stuff out there. The average person watches a Netflix series in four days, like a whole series, like a whole thing drops on Netflix, four days, it's gone. Their biggest competitor is sleep. The fact that people are just consuming this. Stuff. Now, the thing is, you never come out of a Netflix binge just feeling like, oh, Ah, oh, so good for my soul. Like, I, I, am, I am ready for this work week because I have just been glued to a screen for 64 hours, and I can, you know, all these characters and their stories and their arcs, and, you know, how wonderful and, and how ready I am for life because I spent this time. That's the opposite of Sabbath. So Eugene Peterson, who's like the pastor of pastors, he actually called the, the American day off the bastard Sabbath. And that's strong language, and I want to use it he, because I think it actually is very applicable. He calls the day off the bastard Sabbath. A widespread misunderstanding, he says, of Sabbath trivializes it by designating it a day off. A day off, he says, is a bastard Sabbath. Days off are not without benefits, to be sure, but Sabbaths they are not. However beneficial, this is not a true but a secularized Sabbath. The motivation is utilitarian. It makes us feel better. Relationships improve. We may even get more done on the six days than we would on the seventh. But the day off is at the service of the six working days. The purpose is to restore strength, increase motivation, keep performance incentives high. This point being, we can mistake what the Sabbath is always about when we think of it as just the antithesis of work. When we think of it as just something that, that God didn't separate and make holy and bless. It's not just the absence of work. It's filled with something. To give Brant a quote that Leah is going to bring up again and again. This is a great idea for us to understand. This day is filled with something. It's not just I'm going to be in a vacuum and I'm going to just cease everything around me and, and just let that be the end of this. The Sabbath was intended to bring life to bring love, to bring community, to bring God's plan about. So the Sabbath as a pattern, I think, the Sabbath as, as this, this way of breathing and filling our lungs, of, of having our heartbeats, this idea of the Sabbath as a pattern, I think, explodes its relevance to us. It's much more relevant for me to have a rhythm to my life than a one-off vacation, 
than a vacation I took this one time to the beach. Sabbath as a pattern and a way of living my life makes so much sense, but the thing is I feel it, that it decreases its appeal for us. Because now you're not prescribing for me, I should do this while Josh is preaching this sermon, but now we're like, no, you're talking about a life change. You're talking about ordering my days differently. And I, this pattern is a rhythm of our days, but as a pattern of the overarching gospel story that we live out. And when we think of these mental health days or vacations or breaks from work to take care of ourselves, and the Sabbath takes care of us, it's more about what is centered and connected to us, who and what we're centered on and what really matters. And that's why some of the things it includes makes us groan, because it feels better like I'd rather ignore the poor. I'd rather ignore these issues of, of justice and, and maybe those whose care I'm charged with. Can't I not worry about anything on this day? Can't this be a day where I'm just like putting up my walls and saying this is all about me and being selfish? But that's never what the Sabbath was prescribed as. It's a day to join with God on his side of his completed work. Here's a quote by Wayne Muller. In the relentless busyness of modern life, we've lost the rhythm between work and rest. All life requires a rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm in our waking activity and the body's need for sleep. There's a rhythm in the way day dissolves into night and night into morning. There's a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the necessary dormancy of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm, a deep eternal conversation between the land and the great sea. In our bodies, the heart perceptibly rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between the exhale and the inhale. We've lost this essential rhythm. Our culture invariable supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest. That doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Because of our desire to succeed, we do not rest. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born of effortless delight. Poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. I don't think that's overstating it. I don't. I think our lives are in danger. People who work themselves to death, people who work to the detriment of their families and their homes, believing that their wallet is somehow going to be the savior for what they need, when really love, not to quote the Beatles too much, is what we're really about. That's what this world has, was created from. What, what do children need? What do spouses need? What do friends and communities need? Is it more time than the office? No, it's really not. As I read this, I thought about bagpipes. <laughs> All right, this whole musical theme that we've got here. William's giving a thumbs up, but hold on to that. If you Google search bab bagpipes are, you get down to annoying, awful, not Irish, and then the worst. <laughs> so bagpipes, as I was thinking about this, the thing with a bagpipe, it's constant noise. You, you, you squeeze this bag out and just I think the reason, sorry William, I think the reason why people might detest bagpipes so much, not me, but other people, <laughs> is this idea that there's no rest in it. It's this constant barrage of, of, of sound coming out of these things. And I, I really do believe that we are engineered in such a way 
that pauses, that rest, are deeper in the fabric of our, our being than what we believe. So while I encourage us to embrace a weekly Sabbath, I think we live complex patterns. I think we have complex rhythms in our lives. And I think four on the floor, the, the basic beat of our lives, sometimes really doesn't account for all the complexities that we, we have. And, and sometimes I think that while we, we need this rhythm, I understand that there's things that, and pressures. And, and, more, and this isn't to give you a way out, by the way. This is to say maybe you need more Sabbath. Maybe you need a different pattern for Sabbath. You know, pastors often talk about taking a Sabbath on Mondays and, or Fridays or these other ways that we live our lives. But it's more than just a week. And when you look at Scripture, you saw that this idea of Sabbath wasn't just, you know, six days of work and then the seventh rest and then repeat until you, you die. There was a rhythm built into life itself, into the years, into the way that, that societies came and about the events that happened around them. The first thing that happened, though, in the scripture was that God made time holy. This is opposite from so much of scripture when you, or other, other religions. When other religions talk about what God makes holy, he makes a place holy. He's going to make like a temple or a tabernacle or something holy. And we could look at, at the Garden of Eden. We could look at these ideas of what God made holy. But the first thing when you read from the beginning through in Genesis, he made a day holy. His focus was on this time, this time to be with him, this idea that he made this time holy. It wasn't a place. He blessed people. He blessed animals. He blessed a day. Genesis 2.2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is time to meet with God on his terms his ways. Abraham Joshua Heschel said the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. That's, a, that's a, a beautiful idea. The Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. If we are to build a cathedral to, to show the Lord's glory and splendor to the world, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. I, I feel like we, they're not because <laughs> we don't have them. But I think they, I think they could really us what, what it's every seventh year though was a land sabbath that meant that no crops were to be sown or harvested Gen leviticus 25 20 through 22 says this you may ask what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops this is i think the number one argument people have about sabbath like i can't not work like what what's going to happen i will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it till the harvest of the ninth year comes in. What an amazing promise from God. He's like, this is the plan. I've got this. If you, if you do this, this last year before this happened, you will have enough to last you over. The Lord says it. The Lord promises this, that, that he will provide for us. I, you need rest. You need a break. The land needs rest. The land needs a break. And I will cause this to work. He has all fruition. He has the power. He has the care. He has the concern. And he says, trust me in this. I will do this for you. Debts incurred by the poor during the previous six years were to be canceled at the end of the seventh year. After seven cycles, a Sabbath year, 49 years, the 50th year was proclaimed a year of jubilee. And this is Leviticus 25, 8 through 12. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpets sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. 
On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the unintended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. This idea, again, God's restoring so much more. This idea wasn't just about seven days of working and then not. It's about the land. It's about debts. It's about community. It's about the way we live our lives. If you think about Jubilee, really, you get one per generation. <laughs> like, what a wonderful understanding. We, we get this. This is for us. You might get two, you know. <laughs> you might get two Jubilees, but what a wonderful celebration that we have. This is something I want everybody to have, and it's special. It's special for you whenever we have this. The land was to rest from cultivation. All families had become poor and mortgaged their land, got it back. And the, the understanding we have is that this was probably never really realized the way that, that God intended it. Um, there might have been some attempts in some small places, but from what we understand historically, this was a real problem. Um, the reason for this, we understand, was to prevent God's people from being forever divided into the poor and the rich. The inheritance was given to all, and God's people are emphasized again and again not to oppress one another. The next verse in that says, don't over-oppress each other. It talks about the way that we, we levy fines against each other and the way we loan money. The whole idea, again, is God's inheritance, God's blessing. What God's provided for us is for all. It's the equity. It's, it's sharing this out, not because of the land that you happen to have or, or how rich you got or how great your parents were. It's about trying to ensure that, that we're all with God in his rest. That we can all enjoy this life and what God intends for it to be. In a non-time-based one, the ark sabbathed on the mountain. You know Noah and the ark. You know when that, that ark stopped, it sabbathed on the mountain. In Genesis 8-4, it says it comes to sabbath on the Shabbathon month, the seventh month. With the destruction of the temple, the language in Lamentations is intentionally doubled. It says the enemies celebrate the sabbath, the cessation of temple activities. They use that on purpose in Lamentations, saying, these things of God, Sabbathed. All those things. The, the way that Sabbath comes about, by force or by invitation, it's a pattern for us. These things live, these things die, and we, we join with the cycle of this. I love what we did today, but, but we are going to come into a crashing limitation on time here. But Hebrews 4 is the main thing I want us to read. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let's be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter the rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And I love how the author of Hebrews says it. Somewhere <laughs> on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We know the cycle of the week. And I feel like the author of Hebrews, when he says there remains another rest, there remains an invitation today to enter into his rest. Outside of, of this, this religious ceremony that we've made, outside of this, this pattern that we have, there is a rest to be enjoyed as we develop the complex patterns of our life, as, as you understand how you need it, what, what your, your service is, whether it's a season, like whenever the, the judgment season came, the judgment season came to Noah and, and the people around that time, and what happened at the end of it? There was a Sabbath rest. When the temple was, was overcome and there was this warfare coming, what happened? There was a Sabbath rest. Whenever we, we have our, our celebration of all that God has done, what do we have? We have a Sabbath rest. What season of life are you in? And today, what is the pattern that God has called you to? Where does Sabbath fit in to this whole story that we're in? What's the relevance of the Sabbath today? It's a command, I think, yes. And I think we need this rhythm, as I said, more often than what we're taking it. I think we need this rhythm way more often. And I think for some of us, that's going to look a lot like a traditional seven-day week. But I think it's a gift. It's a gift for us. All these different rests with creation, the rest of the promised land, the prophetic hope that David understood as still future the king, he was in the promised land, and yet he still talked about a future rest. And now we know that Christ has fulfilled something for us, that we can join with him in his work. And all these are tied to the same Sabbath, to the same goodness of God, the same blessing that he set forth, the same division he made between secular and sacred when he made this day holy, the same division of time where he said, "This join with me in this time, today join with me in this time. The same pattern, the same rhythm. It's the same kind of rest which the Creator enjoyed when he completed his works. Rest is a quality which eludes man's quest and in fact cannot be attained except through Christ. But yet, Jesus himself invited men to come to him and find rest. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And this is the idea of what we join with him and is his work. If we think of all of this as future, if we think of this as the promised land, if we think of this as some distant heaven, if we think of this as something that I'll, I'll, I'll fall into eventually, we're missing the pattern for our lives now. It's really referring to now, this whole rest idea, which is associated with where God lives, which is associated with the temple. All these themes intertwined together in this passage in Hebrews. It's not the remote future. It's a present reality. Our family communities, our faith communities, our churches are or should be a foreshadowing of the rest, the family time we have when the family of God is reunited, the presence in a global temple, a global abode of God. It's not just in an activity. It's not, whew, I had a rough day, I can kind of sit here now. It's life with God and the family of God, the original Edenic plan. 
meaning Garden of Eden, the original Edenic plan, the original template. You're a part of God's family. There's stuff to do now. We have relationships with each other. There's hierarchy. There's stuff to do. There's the creation to enjoy. It's what should have been at the fall had never happened. That's joining with God in the celebration of the work that he has completed. And when we do his work, when we join with him in that, we are called into that rest with him. We don't have the law. We're under grace. But there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. Hebrews was written for people who knew Jesus, <laughs> that there remains a Sabbath rest for us to enter into. And I think that the, that's the point here. It's a by belief that we enter into this. It's not by work or inactivity. It's not by actually our duties. It's not by all these things. It's by belief we enter into it. When you think I'm going to have a Sabbath, which means I'm going to put up these walls, are we entering in by belief? Or are we entering in by our own two hands yet again? Are we trying to carve out our time and make our, our walls higher so that we are protected so we can have our mental health day? Or are we entering in by belief? The Sabbath isn't a debt to be filled. It's not an obligation to be met. And yet, while it's a command, I don't think that there's a way to satisfy this command as in like, we've already had one breakfast. Sure, but what about second breakfast? <laughs> The idea is that we know we need to do this again and again and again. So if you, haven't, if you don't know Lords of the Rings, that's the famous line from here. What about breakfast? You've already had it. We've had one, yes, but what about second breakfast? I think some of us are hobbits with the food that we have out there. But if you are unfamiliar with this, the next slide here, y'all need to help me. Church stage intervention for pastor's addiction to Lord of the Rings sermons references. <laughs> I saw this on Babylon Bee and I was like, oh no, they know me. <laughs> so help. <laughs> so this pattern that we, la we live, it's not about once, it's not about twice. As long as it's called today, as long as there remains a Sabbath rest that we can enter into, we're called to this. And I don't think what we're called to and what we made it about adds up. I don't know that we can have a Sabbath rest without worship. I don't know that we can have a Sabbath rest without family and friends and love around us. And if the Lord is calling you to do something, you can't have a Sabbath rest if you ignore that call, what he's asked you to do. If it's to heal the man with a shriveled hand in the temple, if, it, if it's to pray with your kids, if it's to play a game with your kids, if it, whatever it is, if the Lord has called you to do it, it's not to say, this is the Sabbath, I can't do that. This isn't to say, no, I won't love you today because this is about me. This is me time. No. That's not what the Sabbath was ever intended for. Do we have these Sabbaths, or are we making them about selfish intrusions of my own time and my own space and things that I want them to be? Are we making our days off, these bastard Sabbaths, our regular and our expectations? Final thing, there's a, a tweet I saw this week. The most tiring thing about adulting is how constant it is. There's always something to sort out. You chilling means you're probably just ignoring the million things on your to-do list. You feel that way? It's just like there's no end. Like the clothes keep getting dirty, you know, and, and, and if we eat a meal, now there's plates to clean, you know, and, and it's just there's, there's no stop to this. And, and there's two things I want to say about this. Part of the problem is that when we don't have a pattern of Sabbath, we're always driving with a tank barely above empty. When we don't have a pattern of Sabbath, we're always driving around. We're not empty, 
we, we, got, we got a quarter of a tank and we could go 20, 30 miles, you know, and then we just crash out and we're done. And then, oh, we got a quarter of a tank again. We're never really able to go the distance because we don't have a pattern of Sabbath. Because we, we live so close to the edge of what we're capable of doing on our own. We never embrace God's time and all we see is the fruit of our own hands. Part of the rhythm of Sabbath is the preparation for the Sabbath. Okay, this is a very big important idea that probably deserves its own week. Part of the pattern of Sabbath is the preparation for the Sabbath. In, in Jewish times, this meant we cook the food that we're going to eat tomorrow today, so I don't have to cook tomorrow. That makes sense. I have to do less on my Sabbath now because I already did some of the work. Well, you have to prepare for a time off. You ever feel stressed on vacation because, like, you're just too late to plan for it and, like, I don't have the clothes, I don't have the stuff, like, I'm not ready and, like, oh, then you get to the hotel and it's like, oh, I'm still not ready and then you, you got to decompress and it takes, like, two or three days and you're in some wonderful place but yet you can't enjoy it because the preparation didn't happen adequately. And the stress that we feel because we don't adequately prepare means for the fact, like, that tomorrow's MLK Day, I didn't know I had off. Surprise! I have a day off, which is a nice surprise, but I have no plans for it right now because I was planning on going to work, and, and so it's not going to be, what is it going to be? I don't, oh no. <laughs> you know, and it's, the Sabbath shouldn't be a surprise to us. We know it's coming. We know the pattern of our lives. Let's plan on it. Let's prepare for it. Let's make our, our lives account for the rhythm of Sabbath. Since it remains in Scripture, we'll say every time you read this passage in Hebrews that there remains a Sabbath rest. No matter how many times you read it, as long as we're living this life, I think that means that there's time for another one. We've had one yes. What about second breakfast? What about our next Sabbath? Because that's always the pattern. God puts the fatherless in families. He gives his name to the nameless. That's the idea. This Edenic promise, the Sabbath rest, joining with God in his time, this pattern of living life as he's meant for it to be, is enriched by this. If we're a people of the now and the not yet, as in the vineyard we say we are, I have to ask, are we putting more into the not yet because we refuse to enter into his rest now? Are we putting more out there saying, one day I'll have that. One day God's goodness will come. One day his promises will be revealed. Are we putting all this in the future belief about what God is about because we just don't join with him in his rest here and now? So the final thing I'll just say, Exodus 31 says that this was a perpetual sign. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. This isn't where it says it's a command. This is where it says it's a sign. This is where it says this whole pattern, this whole idea of the Sabbath, it's bigger than that. It's, it's this perpetual understanding. This is how you can know that God is God. Join with him in the Sabbath. That's a, a bit of bridge from what I had. And I, 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 sorry if it didn't make as much sense, but I love the way this morning went. Because we do join with God in his work. And we join with God in his rest, in his rhythm, what it's meant to be about. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And I, 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 hope, I hope you can take this exploded idea of the Sabbath more than, than just a day off, more than, than just this. What is the complex rhythm of your life? What is the pattern of your life? And where in the seasons, where in the days 
is God calling you to join with him in his time? Not these walls up of don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't, don't come in here, this is me time. But in these ideas of realizing that this is what Eden is about. This is about what God made. When he had that first day and he looked at all of creation and he said, it is very good. When he could do that, having that Sabbath, having that rest, where is God calling you to that? What's the pattern of your life that's going to allow for that? And I hope it's more than five minutes on a Wednesday night. (laughs) I hope it's more regular than once a month. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Father, I pray that this will take us into this week. Because there's work for us to do. There's joys to be had. There's love to be shared. There's families to to bless. There's words to be spoken. Not Not as a burden, but as your work. And even though we are obligated because we are your servants and we will say yes, there's that wonderful sweet spot where we've taken your yoke on ourselves. Where we're being faithful servants. True to who you've made us. Father, I I choose your ways, not mine. I choose your work, not my own. I choose your marks of success and not my own. Father, I pray that that will be a sign and a blessing and a message to this world that knows hurry. Come, Lord Jesus. I bless you, church, to go with God. In his name.